Let us pray. Gracious Lord and open Heavenly Father, we praise thy name this night. Thou art indeed worthy to be praised. When we look around, we see that the heavens declare thy glory and affirm thy handiwork. And we thank thee that we have your word open before us this night. And we do pray that indeed our hearts will be open to receive it. And that we might thereby grow in knowledge, but also grow in grace. And so we ask your hand of blessing upon our time together this night. And in Christ Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. Amen. We're coming tonight to Acts chapter 2 and the ninth verse. You'll see that uh, you should have a couple of sheets. One is several maps and the other one is a, a background really. It's not actually going to form the basis of our study tonight but uh, just for your own information regarding the exile and return from exile. As I say, it's not really going to form part of the study tonight, but it is the background in part to the list of places that we have before us. We did cover some of the exile when we looked at the introduction to Ezekiel some time ago. So anyway, we come tonight to chapter 2 and verse 9. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea and Cappadocia in Pontus and Asia Pyrigia and Pamphylia in Egypt and in the parts of Libya about Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes Cretes and Arabians we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. So tonight we come to this list of places and it's always a bit foreboding and a bit concerning when you come across a, a lengthy <coughs> list of names whether they be people or places and you, you try to, to get through it fairly swiftly and there's not a lot you can really learn from a list most of these places don't mean a lot to us therefore what on earth could we learn from them but they're here so we should have a look at them and see what we can learn from them, at least in some measure. Now, first of all, this book was written to Theophilus. 
and it would seem that Theophilus was a Roman citizen of some note at the start of the book of Luke we had almost excellent Theophilus which would seem to have been something of a a, a greeting to someone of some importance but he, he would seem to have been a Roman citizen and someone to whom this list would have meant a lot we're not Roman citizens way back then it doesn't mean quite so much to us but it did mean things to him it would have meant of course to other people at the time as these places had names that then existed some of the names no longer mean much to us but we can go a step further and we can start at the top of that list there and we see Parthians and Medes and Elamites and you'll see right at the edge of the map in green Parthian Empire the map is sort of indicative every map I looked at had different layouts for all these things historians drew them for different dates some of the information is not 100% certain either but Parthian Empire and the Parthian Empire the secular history tells us was in the land over roughly where you would find modern Iran somewhat larger than that but that sort of area and it was an enemy of Rome this list starts with an enemy of Rome the Parthian Empire stopped the expansion of Rome eastwards it blocked the path to India and the riches further east and there was constant fighting and squabbling as the Romans tried to overcome them and never did so it's important that we can learn from that the scripture didn't start here with this list with Rome the Jews didn't see Rome as the, the be all and end all of everything and Luke when he came to take these details down didn't put Rome right to the top of the list as being the most important place involved and God dealt with a bigger world than the Roman world it wasn't bound by politics and so forth we've seen that over the years and people have tried to impose their will and stamp out Christian faith communists tried it in China kicked all the missionaries out and everything what happened? the church grew after the missionaries left thousands were converted but Rome thought saw themselves as being the world empire uh, the power beyond all powers uh, but God's outlook was bigger and Parthia, Medes and Elamites that's the area to which the northern and 
tribes, the, the state of Israel, kingdom of Israel, exiled to most of them, or a large number shall we say anyway, were and uh, later on the southern kingdom of Judah was also exiled from the land, again a large number of them we seem to read in the scriptures that uh, the poor were left behind to tend the crops and that's how the Jews originally came to be spread over in those faraway lands and over the years there was a return Cyrus issued a decree and they went back or rather a few did, a remnant a large number didn't and again over the years they were spread out and the Greeks came and moved them around and others took opportunities for trade and moved the Romans came to Jerusalem and took a, a huge number off to Rome but they failed to um, subdue them and eventually allow them to go free and have their own community and this is how God's ancient people were spread out across these countries now then we look down there the dwellers in Mesopotamia they were people who lived in Mesopotamia which was the land between the Tigris and Euphrates river and in Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia Pi Regia and Pamphylia there's a slightly odd one in that list in Judea <coughs> after all these events took place in Judea and they're right at Jerusalem so why do we have Judea popping up in the midst of a list of provinces that were in Asia Asia Minor modern day Turkey that bottom corner there map well the possible explanations are that on the one hand the, when these tongues were spoken actually the disciples didn't just speak in other tongues so to speak but they also spoke in the other dialects and one of them was the dialect of Judea, of Jerusalem. These Galileans also spoken. And the people of Jerusalem would have understood the message and what was being said as much as anywhere else. And that would, of course, fit in when we read over in Corinthians about the, the need for an interpreter as it were, everybody has to understand what's been said so that might be the reason for the, the reference to Judea it might not, might not just be limited to Judea some of the commentators suggest that it means the whole of the land that was the kingdom of David and Solomon at its greatest extent 
and uh, that would include Galilee and Syria and so forth in large measure um, I don't know exactly but uh, it's just included in the list because there were people there for certain when we read down this list and then we look at the map we, we notice there are places named on the map that aren't in the list and I don't know why but one thing does seem to be clear and that is that this is a list of actual political places at the time and in part a list of well-known people groups places that had been nations like Pyria there coloured in yellow on the map at the bottom and that had been a, a mighty country had its own language but was now really split into two as parts of Roman provinces one of the books I was reading in said its language existed for 800 or so years after it ceased to be a country in its own right and it had ceased to be a country in its own right a long time before these events in Jerusalem Egypt the parts of Libya about Cyrene Egypt and Libya reasonably self-explanatory Cyrene is on that coast that reminds us of Simon of Cyrene what did he do? he carried the Lord's cross and strangers of Rome and strangers of Rome it's a slightly unusual way of putting it you might think epidemio or something similar to that we get the the word sort of is derived from it anyway we get the word epidemic somewhat derived from it which means of temporary prevalence in medical sort of parlance these were temporarily Romans temporarily in Jerusalem they were strangers though to Jerusalem because that wasn't their permanent residence but Rome as you see is mentioned in the list but nearer the bottom than the top it sort of heads this last group Rome is where the book of Acts will end up the gospel will go to Rome to conquer as it were not to win everything and convert everyone but nevertheless to be preached and to be preached successfully and the Spirit of God would work mightily in Rome and the church would be built and the gates of hell would not prevail against it in spite of the terrible events that would later take place in Rome under some of the Roman Empire emperors Jews and proselytes this would seem to apply to the whole list 
rather than to just of Rome, Jews and proselytes. Jews, talking of those who were naturally born, as it were, their parents were Jews. We can understand that bit. Proselytes, newcomer. They weren't native born, naturally born. Their parents weren't Jews. We have this in the Old Testament. We have the word stranger. Let me see back in Exodus chapter 20. Speaking of the Sabbath. We, we read that they were to not do any work on the Sabbath. And it also said that the stranger which is within thy gate, within thy land, is not to do any work. And uh, that, that's what, in the Old Testament context, is talking about the stranger. But later on, it came to have a wider meaning geographically, but a narrower meaning religiously. And we can see this in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23, and the 15th verse and this is the Lord Jesus speaking and he's denouncing the, the scribes and the Pharisees and then we come to verse 15 and he says woe unto you scribes and Pharisees hypocrites for ye compass sea and land to make one proselyte and when he is made, you make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. And this here is, is describing something of what was happening. The scribes and the Pharisees were very zealous and going out and seeking to win converts to bring them within Israel. The Lord Jesus here is condemning what the scribes and Pharisees were, were, were doing. Not, not, not the making of converts, uh, but, as ever he did, uh, what actually the, the scribes and Pharisees were doing by laying burdens on people and misleading them. The blind leaders of the blind, as he said on another occasion. They were leading them astray rather than to leading them into God's truth. But it wasn't the proselyte as such that he was condemning. But that verse illustrates that there were these proselytes. They were converts, newcomers to the Jewish faith, to the law of Moses and its observances. As such, the Men had to be circumcised. There was a ritual baptism and there was the offering of sacrifice at the temple. But there were another sort uh, that would seem. If we look in uh, Acts chapter 10 and the 22nd verse. We see here Cornelius, verse 22, Acts chapter 10. And they said, Cornelius, the centurion, a just man, and one that feareth God, 
and of good report among all the nation of the Jews. Now you see this man is described as one that feareth God, is described as of good report among all the nation of the Jews. But it would seem that whilst he honoured the, the, the one true God, yet he hadn't converted and uh, uh, become one of the Jews. We see that when we look down a bit further in verse 28. And uh, Peter speaking, he said unto them, Ye know how that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. You see, Cornelius was not a convert, but he's described as a, a God-fearer. So there were those two classes. But here we have proselytes. This crowd was a mixture of natural-born Jews and converts to Judaism. Cretes and Arabians. Crete, the island, and Arabians. There's a bit of a jump there. The island is in the middle of the Mediterranean, and the Arabians are to the east of the land of Judea, in the south of the Parthian Empire. And so we see this list has moved from the east, and it's, it's travelled west over to Rome uh, and round North Africa and back into Arabia as I say there are several places one of the most notable being Macedonia and Greece where the Apostle Paul would later visit but we don't know why these are missed out was it because there was nobody there from these places or is it just that this list is a a summary and it doesn't detail every place that was represented we don't know and we can't speculate because it doesn't say the list seems to be quoting what people in the crowd said um, beyond that we can't go Cretes and Arabians we do hear them speak in our tongues we referred to this last week it's it's repeated. In verse 8 we read, And how here we every man in our own tongue when we were born. This was such an astounding occurrence that this was repeated. People were saying, How are we hearing this? How are we hearing them speak in our own tongues? How are we hearing them speak in our own tongues? Obviously, with a, a brief report like this, it's not every word that was spoken by everyone in the crowd. It's, it's a summary of what people were saying. And, but this summary includes the repetition because it emphasises the astounding nature of what was taking place. They were hearing and they were saying these things. 
we do hear them speak in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. And these disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit gave them utterance. <coughs> and they spoke in these other tongues, these other languages. And what did they say? They spoke of the wonderful works of God. And this, well, there's several places we could look up and just reflect upon, but Psalm 71 and the 19th verse, <coughs> the, uh, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, uses the same word to translate in here. Psalm 71 verse 19 Thy righteousness also, O God, is very high and who has done great things? O God, who is like unto thee? So much of the Psalms is speaking of the great things the great works, the great deeds of God. Praise fill the psalmist lips praise filled these disciples lips Luke chapter 1 verse 49 in Luke chapter 1 we come to Mary Verse 46, And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Saviour. For he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He hath showed strength with his arm. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things and the rich hath he sent empty away. He hath helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. This great outpouring of praise was of the great things that God had done for Mary and for her people. Do we know this in ourselves? Do we, do we speak the great things of God? We turn over again, Luke chapter 19, 37th verse. And this is where our Lord has just triumphantly entered into Jerusalem. And we come here, verse 37. 
And when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. Saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees who were among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. You know, there was a need then for the praises of the Saviour to be proclaimed loudly. There's such a need that even if they had been quiet. The stones would have cried out. You know, the whole creation does indeed declare something of the glory of God. And these stones would have cried out that they'd been silent. Are we silent? Do we have the Holy Spirit? If we have the Holy Spirit in our hearts, we should speak forth the great things of God. We should speak forth the great things concerning His salvation. There is nothing greater amongst the works of God than what the Lord Jesus did to save His people from their sins. We should declare from the abundance of our hearts the great things of God. Wasn't that how the Lord Jesus said it? When he spoke of the people speaking out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaketh. What's in our hearts? What comes out? It should be an abundance of praise, an abundance of speaking the great things of God his wondrous salvation verse 12 and they were all amazed we looked at that that's the same word that we heard earlier on in verse 7 and they were all amazed and marveled and they were all amazed and were in doubt they were all Besides themselves, they, they didn't know in doubt diaporo at loss. There was no way through. Herod had the same problem. And the Lord Jesus was ministering. Herod didn't know what to make of it. And you can read about that in Luke chapter 9. Herod didn't know what to make of the Lord Jesus' ministry. And these people here. They, they understood the words. They knew what they, that what they meant. But at the same time, they couldn't understand it. They didn't know where it was going. They didn't know what it, what it meant in the greater sense. They couldn't see a road ahead through it. It's the literal meaning here. They, they, they could see no way ahead. We have, they were... They were in doubt. They just didn't know. 
saying one to another, what meaneth this? It's an honest question. And there's nothing wrong with an honest question. But the point is very clear. They just did not know where it was going. Where it would, what it would lead to. They had heard these wonderful works of God declared. They had heard them declared in these languages and dialects. They knew it was marvelous beyond anything they could express. But still they didn't know where it was going. And we have this word it says there, and they were all uh, uh, this obviously in the light of verse 13 doesn't literally mean everybody that was there but it would seem to mean either the great majority or possibly the visitors that were listed in these earlier verses all these places the visitors who had come for the feast they didn't know. And that was their response. We don't know. Verse 13. Others <coughs> mocking said, These men are full of new wine. Others mocking said, You know, there were those there. Others. They weren't filled with this sense of amazing wonderment. Well, they, they don't express this question. What is going to come from this? What is going to happen next? No. Well, they were others. Who would reject it out of hand. Who were these others? The passage doesn't say. Those who write the commentaries, quite a few of them speculate and say perhaps it was of the scribes and the Pharisees and those who had scorned Christ and reviled him inciting the crowd to cry, crucify him. That seems possible, but we don't know. And that has to be clearly stated. It's an interesting explanation, but we don't know uh, for sure at all. But there were these others. And you know, even when there is a time of great acceptance of the gospel, and there has been times when the gospel has been preached and thousands have been converted, there are others who reject out of hand the mighty works of God. There are others who deride and sneer. Where else did words like Puritan come from? Methodist. They were terms of abuse. When men started living godly lives and calling for reformation in the land and reformation in the church, a reformation that had been started but not completed, Others divided them and called them Puritans. 
the term of abuse, when George Whitfield and the Wesley brothers came along and started leading careful Christian lives and preaching the gospel. And thousands came to hear, and thousands were converted. What happened? They were called Methodists. It was a term of abuse. There are always others who will sneer spitefully at God's people when they do a work that brings glory to the Saviour's name. And the Saviour said it would ever be thus. We must be very clear about this. Well, you can see Luke chapter 6 and the 22nd verse. Our blessed Saviour speaks. He said, Blessed are ye when men shall hate you, and when they shall separate you from their company, and shall reproach you, and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice ye in that day, and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for in the like manner did their fathers unto the prophets. You know, I fear sometimes that we don't know too much in the way of opposition, and it's not something any of us seek. But there are lands today where the opposition is fierce, where the rift of coming to worship the Lord together are very serious. Will those who would lead a meeting like this risk being thrown into jail? And not a nice cushy jail like we have in our land either. This persecution today is very strong in some lands. The gospel is hated. The great works of God are hated. And I fear in our land there is coming a day when once more there will be this open persecution of those who will stand up and declare fully the gospel of God's saving grace calling sinners to repentance and faith. We are being warned by the politicians. You've got to be tolerant. You've got to be accepting. You mustn't be divisive. There's nothing more divisive than proclaiming God's word of truth, than proclaiming God's salvation by grace in the finished work of Christ. There's nothing more divisive than calling a sinner a sinner. Declaring what is sin in God's sight. A man, the natural man, rebels against these things and the adversary stirs him up. It's coming in our land today. We're not interested in political power, we're not trying to overthrow the government. 
But we are here to preach the gospel. We are here to call sinners to repentance and faith. To declare the great works of God. And it will bring persecution. But Christ had that wonderful promise of blessing to those who suffer the persecution. Not suffering for doing wrong, but suffering for serving the Lord faithfully. Great is your reward in heaven. You know, the prophets of old were persecuted. The Lord Jesus was persecuted when he preached the truth. He was persecuted. Some people say that if only we had, if only we had a great preacher, if only the Lord Jesus was here today, we'd win the world. They arrested him. They tortured him. They cruelly treated and crucified him. The Lord of all glory hung upon that cursed tree. They who would live godly will suffer persecution. But with that wonderful promise of that heavenly reward. Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. Oh, that's amazing what some people will say and do to try and detract attention from the glorious works of God. Albert Barnes says of this, to escape the absurdity of acknowledging their own ignorance, they adopted the theory that strong drink can teach languages. And that rather sums it up. But you know, we have that today. Anything but what God says. We'll accept anything but God's word, and God's standard, God's way of salvation. Just about anything except that. Men mock. And the more learned they are, is often the more they mock and revile. Because they won't admit their own ignorance. And we face people like this today. And we can expect what you know. The ground was prepared from this mighty miracle. No one was converted because of what had just taken place. This mighty miracle, or this speaking in other tongues, the great works of God, nobody was converted because of it. They were all confused. They didn't know what it meant. Except for those that mocked. But the ground was prepared. And Peter would take the opportunity. And Peter would get up and preach. And there would be a great harvest of souls. 
from the preaching of the gospel. And we need to take the opportunities before us today to declare the gospel, the mighty works of God in our generation.